Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Pensacola, Florida, it's time for Pensacola Business Radio. Now, here are your Business Radio X hosts. Good morning, everybody. Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios here in Pensacola. Uh, I'm Keith Hofford, and good morning. And I'm going to uh, introduce a, a, a new concept we're working on here, and um, this is going to be Pure H2O, Episode 1. We have our fantastic host, uh, Lori Murphy here today, and, um, it's brought to, brought to you by the Emerald Coast Keeper. So good morning, Lori. Good morning, Keith, and good morning and welcome to Emerald Coast Keeper's new weekly broadcast to podcast, Pure H2O. I'm Lori Murphy, Executive Director of Emerald Coast Keeper, and I'm your local waterkeeper. Each Wednesday, Pure H2O will discuss the latest, interesting, and yes, controversial subjects directly or indirectly involved with our local environment. For a schedule of our topics and guests, you can go to my website at emeraldcoastkeeper.org or any of my social media platforms. I should have all these up pretty soon. Um, And thank you for turning in this morning. I have several guests with me here to discuss the inextricable link between education, the environment, poverty, health, and social justice. First, I want to introduce Lila Davidson, president of Harnessing Opportunity and Power of Education. Good morning, Lila. Good morning, Lori, and thank you for having me on this morning. Well, great, and thanks for for being here. I'm real excited about talking about what you're um, going to be providing for our community. Um, I also have uh, Alexandra Hassett, who's the educational program director for HOPE as well. Good morning, Alexandra. Good morning, Lori. Glad you. I'm glad you're here. And yes, uh, can't thanks wait. for having me. Yeah, can't wait to find out what uh, what's going on and what's brewing in the pod in your direction. And of course, Emerald Barton, who's a local educator and elementary school teacher. Welcome, Emerald. Good morning. Oh, you're so bright and cheery. You can tell you're an elementary school teacher. <laughs> Thank you. You're the only one here that doesn't have coffee. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm so glad. Thanks for all of you for coming. This is so important to our community. And I'd kind of like to start with Lila. And, and we're going to ask a few questions and kind of have a general conversation about what's going on with our educational community here in Escambia County. So, Lila, first of all, can you please tell our uh, radio listeners what gave you the desire to start HOPE? My hope for HOPE, actually, I thought I was going to start in a third world or developing country where the needs were so great, but um, the Lord led me in a different direction. And with the expansion of my business, I ended up, uh, my virtual business that I thought I could run from Nicaragua or anywhere in the world, um, the growth was so great that I needed to uh, return to Pensacola Beach. And what I found was the great needs in the Pensacola community among our children. Um uh, in in regard to education, we I, we don't have to go to another country to find that. Although our vision is great, and hopefully, ten years from now, we will be worldwide. But um, I uh, harnessing opportunity and power of education is all about motivating, inspiring children to learn and want to stay in school. Now, um, my focus is mostly on cultural and the arts and significant social events that bring the community together to help support it. But as you know, Lori, the reason why I'm here this morning is my passion for your organization and recognizing how important it is for um, 
the the power of education to reach um, everyone in the community so that they recognize their responsibility. And living in Pensacola Beach and looking around at the gorgeous, beautiful water of the Gulf and the Bay and learning about your organization and learning that Escambia County has the worst drinking water in Florida, it almost panicked me. And I wanted to do something, um, but it's but the only thing I knew I could do right now was support your organization and become a member. And um, you know, I, I really that. appreciate what you, what you do because we all, because I truly believe we are entitled to clean drinking water. Number one. Well, sure. And yeah. drinking, you know, healthy water promotes a healthy community altogether. So, what do you think your um, main mission? What do you want to accomplish with hope in in the community? I never intended to have any event or do anything strictly with hope. My goal was to partner with other nonprofits, with school systems, charter schools, uh, any, anywhere that I could partner with other organizations to, that are already ensuring that the basic needs of children are met. Because there's no point in talking about hope for their future if their main concern is hoping they get a good night's sleep or that they hoping that they have a good meal. Oh, sure. When they get home for, you know, so basic needs, of course, need to be met. And that's why we all wholeheartedly in this country support, you know, trying to eliminate hunger and trying to um, um, provide those basic needs. Well, once those basic needs are met, there's there, it doesn't solve, it doesn't fulfill the desire the hope. Okay, now I'm no longer hoping for clean water and hoping for a good meal and hoping for a good night's sleep and a roof over my head. Now I'm hoping, now my hope is for my future. Where do I go from here? And um, we all can agree that education is number one. But for me, it's about motivating children and giving them the desire to learn and for them to connect the dots between um, um, their responsibility as citizens and connect the dots between uh, arts and culture. I mean, I can't sep- I have trouble separating the dots. Un- you know, everything is connected in a way. Music is connected to mathematics and ballet is connected to football. And, you know, there's, you can, Very con- true. yes. Mm-hmm. And those type from recess to art, to music, to um, all of those, what, core education believes to be extracurricular and unimportant is actually the motivation and inspiration for children to learn the core education. Um, exactly. Do you see elements. there, what kind of disconnect do you see in our community here uh, with education? Where, where do you think that uh, we need to focus? Education is the key to everything. It's just like um, I, I, there are probably people listening to this broadcast that don't know how poor the drinking water is in Escambia County. So if that's the only thing they get out of this and they recognize that they are responsible as individuals, it's not just up to the politicians and the leaders and government to solve our problems. We all as individuals have to be involved and, um, and take responsibility 
as individuals and a community to solve these problems because they're solvable problems. Certainly, and, and that makes sense. You know, I think that it's time that we as a community take our our organ, you know, our education back, and we take care of our own Absolutely. children. And I think that education begins with the youth, even even in the pre K uh, programs before mm-hmm. they even enter kindergarten. It's not up to necessarily, you know, the teacher's responsibility to do all the work. Uh, there's been a lot of controversy in the paper and on social media lately about un- the unfortunate grades and. I guess there's 13 failed schools, Emerald um, ed, uh, Elementary schools that that are having a little bit of trouble. Mm-hmm. Yes. and so you know we can point the fingers and the blame all we want, but what it boils down to is I think there's there's uh, many components to the problems that we have. Um, for example, Lila, why don't you tell our listening community what kinds of things has Hope done uh, for some of the underserved children in our community? Well, you know, I'm a new, uh, the foundation is new. April of last year, it was the beginning. So we're in uh, the midst of our second year. And I started with a leadership summit that just brought leaders across the country, actually, but mostly in the Pensacola area together, just to um, have a conversation and to introduce hope. It was an extension of hope event. And, um, uh, an example of what I did at that event was it was it started with the Blue Angel show, and uh, and then after the that amazing performance by our pilots and by our Blue Angels in the sky, I actually had an amazing uh, dance performer, a ballerina, uh, do a solo ballet where she wore a beautiful blue ground, gown and did a uh, um, mock of mock-up in a ballet performance of the Blue Angels show. Wow. So to be able to connect the dots with ballet and the Blue Angel jets, that's an example of what I'm talking about. Mm. Um, the Blue Angels are an example of um, motivating our children because many of the, um, the children that I speak to in this area they want to be pilots. Well, why? Because of the amazing love that this community has for our military and the Blue Angels. And uh, if we don't want a system that will require a draft into the military, we have to have children that are motivated and inspired by something good and beautiful to join the military. Oh, that's so really that's cool. I love that of, idea, the connection between just something that motivates children and using that as mm-hmm. an educational tool to get children to kind of wake up. It's kind of like a different facet of of learning. I totally love that idea. Yeah. So our, my main event working with the children um, was this year in March where um, uh, the children um, were actually bused from their schools to the, the Rex Theater, which is... Um, a whole nother show worth another show to talk about. Um, and we did outreach programs, learning programs for the children where they experienced a ballet program. These are children from amazing schools like Pace Center for Girls and East Hill and uh, East Hill Academy that that uh, educates autistic children. That was an amazing program. Uh, Jacqueline Harris. um uh, 
with only a public school system that joined us was from uh, Santa Rosa County. That's one of the things that I have discovered is they do have less rules and regulations and restrictions, and they're more in tuned and receptive to creative learning. Are you talking about the private schools or the public schools? Well, all the schools except for um, the Pace Elementary School um, uh, that were charter schools. Pace Elementary you. is a public school in Santa Rosa County, and they they were so we had two hundred and seventy five second graders that we bust to the Rex Theater to watch a ballet performance and then have hands-on workshops by the the performers that ha- just happen to be educators. Aww. And every performance they do um, includes an outreach educational program and involves, gets the community and children involved. So what was the response after all of this was done? Did you get any feedback from these parents or the children about the programs, the outreach programs that you completed? It was amazing. The response from the children was absolutely amazing to see um, a, a young second grade boy um, up on the stage in second position and his arms over his head and a big smile on his face and loving every minute of it. That same child, as they were in line to leave the Rex Theater to get back on their buses, and they were so well-behaved. And so they learned etiquette, too, from their teachers in preparation for going to, uh, you know, this event. Oh, yeah, of course, and social skills. Yes, yes. And um, But one of the little boy, that little same little boy broke the rule. He jumped out of line, ran over to me, threw his arms around me and gave me a big hug and then ran back in line and quietly. Oh, yes. see, that's, so, just, that's exciting. And that's what we need more of yes, in, in our I system. I accept those. When that, when that happens, I accept those. I'm yes. just like, okay, okay all right, yes. come, let's come yes. back. Yes. And then I wave at the teacher and I'm just like, yeah, it's all good. good. It's yeah, all good. so like I actually kind of do accept that when it comes to like if they really loved something, I totally let let it happen. Even if it's for like just five seconds, I just let it happen, and well, that's great. That- well, it it was really fun because the the director of the ballet actually let the kids know that it's okay to applaud and cheer, um, and um, you know the appropriate thing is to say bravo or brava, you know, and the and the children watching the performance and getting into that and the excitement of seeing these are children; these were mostly disadvantaged or children that. Um, have never experienced anything like that. Oh, and that's just wonderful. to open them up to something as good and beautiful as the performing arts is what is is one of my main goals because um, artistic. I would like to see the elimination of starving artists and artists that are supported by the community. Sure. Yes. That makes yes. sense. And all types of artists. Yes. Exactly. And so the, if and we lost a generation by not being focused on that. And um, uh, but creating the love of the arts, creating the one of the events. And I need to tell you about this, Lori, was I took um, the fifth graders, class, fifth grade class that graduated from Jacqueline Harris. And I brought them to Pensacola Beach and we took a ride down uh, this the um, wonderful, beautiful National Seashore, and it was an educational program on the way to Navarre Beach. 
to see the beach renourishment. Oh. And talk about a fun, exciting, this was a party to celebrate their graduation, and it was an amazing learning experience for them. They learned their responsibility. Um, we talked about cleanup programs on the beach that, that we actually have to have people. Do you believe that we actually have to have people come clean up the beach? Can you imagine that the last cleanup I heard about, 26 people came and walked the National Seashore and collected 265 pounds of garbage? Oh. Yeah, and in the summer season's not even over. We're not even talking Labor Day yet. So, And the children went, wow. who would do that? Who would leave garbage on the beach? And I said, that's a good question. Let's talk about it. You know, so they saw the beach remourishment, and they went out on the amazing Navarre Beach Pier, and um, uh, and then we came back to my home and had lunch and um, talked about um, relationships and their friendships that they have developed in the wonderful school and the skills that they have learned and to remember to take the excellence of education that they received at Jacqueline Harris and to take that to the five different schools they were going to be going to. 17 children were going to be going to five different junior high schools. But that doesn't mean wow. that they could not continue to be friends and in touch with each other. So we shared each other's information so that if one child had problems in the school they were in, they had a friend in another school that they could call and talk to oh, and to maintain wonderful. those relations. Because I've got to tell you, this all comes from my personal experience. And my best friends today are my friends that I developed in grammar school. Yeah, that's what do you think about that, Emerald? How do you feel, you know, do, do children that young of age can really develop long lasting relationships? And how important do you think that is? Yes, even with me teaching kindergarten, um, they are still learning those social skills. The, even this past year, like the love that they had for each other, like if someone fell or spilled something, like the entire class would like go and help. Yeah. And then I was hearing about like, I would have parents come to me, they're just like, oh, well, this student, this student are like, oh, we talked and now we're having a play date and like they've like all become best friends. And I think that is so important because you're basically like you can make long uh, lifelong friends in kindergarten. And That's amazing. I loved it. I was just like it like made me like last day of school. I was like in tears because I was just like, this is just so precious because they didn't know each other. And then they just came in and we were just one big family and they're just I just love it. That's why, that's one of the reasons why I love what I do. Oh, I can imagine. It's just the, the sweetness on those children's faces. And, 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 and I feel so bad, uh, for, you know, the, all of the, the, the poor grades and assessments that are coming in for Escambia County. And I know the entire community must just be very frustrated. And I just think it's important that, you know, we shoot in those ideas and maybe, be creative and look outside the, the box and maybe be innovative. Exactly. Try to do something different. You know, change can be good. You know, I think the, what was the old adage I was told one time, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Well, if it's, <laughs> it's broken, broken. if it's broken, we need to fix it. Mm -hmm. And we need a lot of strong minded heads together to, to find a solution to that. So, uh, so well, the I, solution is not going to come in cookie cutter form that focuses on just one element of education. And I think that's what we're talking about here. Social skills, um, uh, experiences, responsibility, um, 
feeling a part of the community, feeling responsible for the community, recognizing, if, in the example of water, recognizing that what you pour down the drain contributes to pollution, that it's not okay to pour your grease down the drain, that it's not, you know, it's, 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 it's a, it's, it makes them, can you imagine a mother about to pour her grease down the drain and the child has learned in school that that's not really the right thing to do? That's Telling, true. You know, our children become our educators as well. I've mm-hmm. learned more from mentoring young women and working with children than I did in school because they beca- have become my educator. They have become my mentor and my inspiration and my I've learned so much from them. Yeah. So what is the future of hope? What are you working on now? What are your, what's your um, future projects and desires? Uh, 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 I thought, can we do that on another program? <laughs> There's so sure. many. I know. Well, but, let's let, maybe but, uh, we should let Alexandra. I would love to have uh, Alexandra speak a little bit about why she um, elected to work with hope versus being in the public school system and what what her vision is. And what is your background? Uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, my background is I have a bachelor's degree in elementary education, and I'm endorsed for reading K through 12, and um, I'm also endorsed to teach ESOL K through 12, which is English to second language learners. Um I wanted to be a teacher since I was in kindergarten, and um, I remember my teacher actually telling me um, that I would make a great teacher, but I wasn't the teacher yet, and I needed to sit back down because I like to tell everybody um, how to do things. Um, so, um, but I love from, it right. from that moment on, I was like, "Fine, I'll be a teacher one day." So I and I always loved school. I went to a private school most of my life. Um, where we had the, you know, the even 50 minutes of every subject and it was creative and there were projects and it was fun. And then in eighth grade, I went to public school and that wasn't, it wasn't like that anymore. And so I kind of got an awareness of what, you know, the majority of kids actually are going through in normal schools. And it, and it wasn't fun. Although I enjoyed public school and learning still, it was, the a lot of the creative elements were taken out. There wasn't time for projects. There wasn't time for science experiments. Mm. Um, and so I I still had the desire to teach because I, I went back to my private school and I was like, you know, I'll teach in a, a private school. But then that's that's not really where they need help. And so... Um, Aha, well, there's the yeah. catch right there. They don't need the help because they have all the extracurricular hands-on activities yeah. that stimulate the learning that where that may be a disconnect in the public school system being that they're a little bit more on a kind of a cookie cutter program. Right. A little bit, not completely, I don't think. May I mention an example of that? Sure. Pace Center for Girls. They take girls that have been removed from the system. They can no longer attend the public school system for various reasons. There's lots of problems with these girls. They bring them in, and by doing the types of things that we're talking about on this program, in a year's time, they turn those girls around, and they are ready to go back and be a part of the the public school system. 
They are the mm. the progress they make in one year is an amazing. And if they can do that with with those students, what are we missing? What is the disconnect in our public school system that they are they they're actually you know tur- turning kids out because they know. can't they're yeah. not Maybe we have too many students per teacher ratio. Maybe we just, the children aren't able to get a more one-on-one attention because there's so cr- much curriculum having to be presented, or maybe it's the way we're presenting it. I'm not really sure. You know, Emerald, do you have a response to that? Um, even in even in kindergarten, um, I have like small groups, and that is like my one-on-one time where like the other students are doing their centers. And even with those, I have to time those carefully. Like every minute is precious because I only have 15 minutes with this group. And I'm just like, how am I going to instill what they need to know in 15 minutes? Mm. And so I'm just Mm -hmm. like, okay, so I hit it really hard. I was just like, oh my gosh, please. And I'm like, we go over and I was just like, did you get it? Did you get it? And some of them are just like, I got it. No problem. And then some of them, it's just like, can we go at it another way? And I was just like, okay, let's go at it another way. And even if I do somehow find the time, I'll pull that one child and it's like, come on, just come to my table and we're just going to do it until we get something. So I think a lot of it has to do with time because we're yeah. on such a tight mm-hmm. schedule. Alex, I yes. think you have some something to contrib- <laughs> contribute yeah. to that conversation. Well, I, I just remember... Um, a lot of the the issues when I was, you know, doing my student teaching and I was in second grade is it's like everything was so focused on meetings and testing and scores. And um, I remember I would get to school at 630 in the morning and I wouldn't leave till 637 o'clock in the evening. And that was just trying to understand the the outline of what the teachers gave me to teach. And it wasn't even like me creating lesson plans. It was all formulated. And I think sometimes, I think the biggest issue is they're just making it too complicated. They have all these trainings and like ways of the way a child's brain works. And, and it's like all these, you know, they want to learn all these phonetic sounds and this and that, and that's all good, but they take the fun out of it. And Kids don't care anymore. That's no. that's what it comes down like to. Like a stress. To oh what yeah. Think. And so what maybe about it's a mind the block. fun of teaching and the desire to teach and to want to? You know, we're talking about kids wanting to stay in school and to yeah. learn. What about the issue of teachers that had the like you that knew you wanted to be a teacher and then find out it's not the job you thought? It well, was be? um. This is actually where my heart was broken. I, cause I love kids and I've always loved to see them learn and get that light bulb above their head. It's the best. Um, but when I saw, I actually heard in every single school that I uh, worked at, except for one, um, at lunch, I would hear the teachers say how much they hated what they did. And they would complain. They'd talk about how certain students were awful. And it's like there was just a drain. And I'm like, why in the world would I want to do this? And because everybody hated it. And one particular teacher I worked with who was actually phenomenal, um, she was four years almost to retirement. And it was like if she didn't only have four years left, she wouldn't have, you know, continued because it wasn't the same. Um, They weren't actually allowed to be creative 
the issue is, is every every classroom had to be on the same page. They all had to be teaching the same thing. They all had to be working on the same thing at the same time during a certain reading block or during a certain, and you just can't get, you know, that many kids to be on wow. the same page. It's, it was very, very difficult. And it cut, you know, it cut out the, the reason I wanted to teach was to be creative and to have those fun, inspiring lessons. And then I was handed a book saying, you teach this and you teach it this way. And it, it cut out mm. everything that I wanted to do. It's like um, the whole philosophy was was, was gone. Gone. Um, so you know that's really the the big thing is they're not. A, I don't believe that they're allowing teachers to be who they are. They're giving the teachers a cookie cutter lesson that they have to teach. Some of which, to be one hundred percent honest, I didn't even understand. And I was excellent in math. And when they gave me the Common Core. Um, math lessons to teach I'm like I don't even know how to teach this because I don't understand it and it doesn't make sense why you have to teach you know it it just makes it very draining and then when the teacher's frustrated the kids mm -hmm. become frustrated and um you you can't inspire a child to learn if you hate what you're doing that's a very good point you know I'm sure that the attitude and the, all the body language mm -hmm. you know for some mm -hmm. teachers under those situations can be can come off to the students and that's not any fun no, it, it isn't because um, even my principal, she told me this. I think she told me this yesterday. They feed uh, the kids feed off the energy that you give. Mm -hmm. So if you give like a high stressed energy, then they're just like, oh, gosh, if we don't then they freak out because you freak out. But like we we dance in my class. And yeah, like, I know. you're the best. I think that you should <laughs> teach all the classes, Emerald, because I see what you do. Thank I, you. I have, I have a saying about this and it's the only positive thing I can say about the, what we've been discussing is that as long as there is that the system is working like this and that test scores and are, are the main focus mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. there will always be prayer in school <laughs> like it or not those kids are going to be praying for the day to end and to pass that test that's going to be it that's true so Alexandra where do we go from here and what are you actively involved in with hope and um, what are your goals and, and aspirations at this point well the whole reason I joined hope was to do something different um, I wanted to, I still wanted to see that light bulb above the kids' heads and I still wanted to teach, but I wanted to be creative and teach them something they actually wanted to learn. Um, and not do it out of fear. I, I heard a teacher say he has to go into a classroom at the first, whole first semester of school and be as mean as he possibly can because that's the only way he would gain the respect of the children. And then the second half of the year, he could be lax. Now, is this a high school teacher we're um, talking about? He currently, yes. Okay. Um, wow. But but I was like, what? And but I, But I heard it the same thing for elementary school. It's like you have to come in firm. You have to come. And, and yes, yes and no. But you can still be loving and still be fun. And I actually realized it's like I got a better response when I was happy. Um. Sure. But then I got told you can't do that. You know, you can't hug your students. I was in a school where they told me not to hug them because there had been some some issues of some accusations. And sure. it, it was a, it wasn't like all of the public schools, but this particular one, they're like, do not hug your students. Do not let them touch you. And I was like, what? You know, kids need 
some of that stuff. So that I decided to go ahead and, you know, um, find how I can educate outside of the normal school system. And then I met uh, Lila and she started talking about all her dreams and visions. And I was like, yeah, yeah. She, she's very inspirational in her, in her speaking. She's a visionary. Yes, Um, she is. Very inspiring. (laughs) So, and I'm like, that's what I want to do. So, um, right now we are in the midst of planning a uh, spring break camp and art and culture and trying to, um, the big thing is we want uh, the schools in general to realize not to cut the art programs and the music programs because they say they're not being cut, but they're definitely being dwindled. If yes. that makes any sense. I actually kind of not... heard that they are. They're trying to cut arts and, yeah. and recess and putting in more reading time and um, possibly more mathematics and sciences yep. and things like that because the children are so behind. But there's... I've. I've been reading up on it and there's studies that prove that during music learning and during learning art that the brain actually has more capacity to learn at that point when music is happening and um, when they're being creative that it allows them to retain more of what they're actually learning. Mm -hmm. So if you cut that, um, that part of the, the brain isn't getting stimulated. And so it's just so, it's so important not to cut that because it will die with, um, this generation if, if it's not taught to be appreciated. Art and culture. Um, I was inspired. I never cared about social studies or art or culture until I had a college professor that was excellent. And all of a sudden I'm like, why have I, why have I hated this all my life? You know, I, I just had bad, you know, um, examples of, of, I don't want to have to be politically correct. We'll change, <laughs> we'll change the, um, the, but yes, I remember is Dr. Schuler from PJC was fantastic. Um, it was a humanities class. We learned all about, um, the, the creative elements and art and, you know, sculptures and how things were created. And I went to Italy and I saw it and I was like, oh my gosh, this isn't, this kind of art is not in in our community anymore. So that's really where we got inspired. And um, I want to see that brought back. So that's our goal. We're, we are still formulating our goals. So Great. people ask me that and it's like it's constantly developing. But that's where we're at right now. That sounds great. That sounds great. Wow. Thank you for your information. I'd like to get back to Emerald here and talk a little bit about your background, Emerald. And okay. what exactly did you get your degree in? Um, I actually got my degree in the same thing as Alex. So um, I have a degree in elementary education with a certification of K through six and then ESE K through 12 with a reading and ESOL endorsement. And I received that degree in the fall of 2014. Fantastic. From our alma mater. Yes. University of West Florida. Yay. So I was like, yay, go us. Yes. We've actually had classes together. I went back to school to get a, another degree. And yes. we happened to have been in some of the same classes. And that's how I've known you for four or five years now, I guess it's been. Yeah, I think, yeah, it's yeah. been like four or five years. Yeah. I would say that. So I'm, just like, been, I'm so proud of you. That's just excellent. You. I see what you've been doing. And how long you've been teaching now? Um, this is my second full year. I came in the middle of the school year and actually taught third grade from November 2014 until May 2015. So that was just like half of the year. And then I just did my first full year 
um, from um, August 2015 until May 2016. So this, so I've been technically teaching a year and a half, but we're just going to say I'm going into my second full year. That sounds good. So what what differences have you kind of seen between the third grade and the first grade with students? Um, with third grade, it's so much more content that they have to learn. And they're expected to know so much. And it's just like, it was overwhelming to me, but I still made it work. And I was like, we're going to do this and I'm going to have to break it down because if I don't understand it, they're not going to understand it. So I need to understand it first. Yeah. And so, and then that's all also when they changed the standardized testing. And so I was just like, this is new to me. This is new to them. And we just did what we could. And I was just like, okay, here we go. Here goes nothing. Yeah. Well, what is what's changed with the standardized testing? Talk a little bit about that. Um, the questionings are just it's just more complex because like what you would think you learn in third grade is like now in a sense on a fifth grade level. And now they have to know oh. that in the third grade. And I was just like, I don't remember learning this until I was like in the fifth grade. And I was like, okay, I guess. So do you think the recent FSA scores are a reflection of the change in the testing um, that the students just aren't caught up to the new testing or? I think they're just still adjusting. I think they're, uh, they're still adjusting. They can do it. They really can. It's just like they have to adjust to it. And like we just as teachers, we just have to give it to them even though they wanted to give, we, they want us to give them in big chunks. And I was like, well, sometimes they can't really do that. So we have to kind of do it in little baby steps. Right. Right. Whatever works to adjust mm -hmm. to the child, but you still have X amount of students that you have to Mm -hmm. get that information. This this conversation is all about what we have to teach the kids. We have to teach them. We have to teach them this. They have to learn this. They have to learn that. Also, they can also, they can pass a test so the cool schools can get the scores mm-hmm. so the schools can get the funding mm-hmm. where when children are inspired to learn or or discover a love of reading you don't have to increase the amount of time they read at school they will go home and read a book mm-hmm. they will come yep. to class with the book they haven't finished yet and hope hoping to get a break so they can read it some more that's what happens with children that are inspired to learn. They're like little sponges. You're absolutely right. They are capable of learning it, mm-hmm. but they got to want it. Yeah. They got yeah. to have the desire and the will to learn it because they'll tune it out. They won't be able to focus on it, and they certainly won't think about it again when they go home if they're not inspired and motivated by whatever the subject is. Mm-hmm. And they can't be, every child can't be inspired and motivated by every subject. There are kids that will excel in math. There are kids that will excel in science. There are kids that excel in 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 the arts. And because we're trying to do a cookie cutter education program, we're not focused on the individual children any more than we're focused on the individual teachers and their creative skills and their um, mm-hmm. their abilities. So listen, I don't. I, I hate statistics, and I hate quoting this, but you've all heard it. This country spends the most on education of any country in the world, and we rank thirtieth. We're doing something wrong. It's not because it, money is not the problem, and so 
Well, yeah, mm-hmm. and, and there's a lot, but I, there's many different components. You know, it can't. It's even if you have uh, an education setting where you're in a public school versus a private school, which we have more public schools here than we have private schools, obviously. Um, so that is the majority of our, our county. And that also includes our underserved community um, because the majority of the underserved communities are not in a very expensive private school where they have access to lots of computers and technology and, and different types of learning situations. Um, we're talking our biggest issue is with the public schools and in and, and our county and what we need to do. So, Emerald, talk to me a little bit about what you do to handle or, or work with the underprivileged and what kinds of things have you seen work for the underprivileged uh, students that are have come through your classroom? Um, I think at first, really, I had to, like, really study and understand, you know, what is actually going on. I'm like, okay, I need... To, I'm like, I grew up in a different environment. So I first need to understand the environment. And like, and this sounds really simple, but just them eating breakfast mm. makes a huge mm-hmm. difference. Mm-hmm. And I would you, like, I would have kids come in late and I had to keep animal crackers in my room, you know, because they would be so hungry that they didn't want you know, they were just like, I'm, I'm just hungry. Like they can't, like we're doing something completely different. And they're just like, I'm hungry. So I had to learn. I'm like, okay, they're hungry. So mm. if I give them a couple of animal crackers, because we don't go to lunch for a good little minute, I'm like, so oh. I'm like, they're hungry. So, and then once I give them those animal crackers, they're ready to go. They're like, okay, so da da da. let's do this. And mm, that brings a good point because mm-hmm. here in the U.S. Census report, in a Scambia County from ages zero to four, that's even before they get into school. Mm-hmm. Okay, this mm-hmm. is and they're in their pre-K. There are 4,716 children living in poverty. Mm. Wow. That's not even inclusive of school-age children. That's, that's, that's the amount of children before they get into school that have lived in poverty and probably aren't eating breakfast. Wow. What do we do about that? that? That's that's a tough situation. So w- when you give them the animal crackers, which is great, I guess that must be coming out of your own pocket because I, I'm assuming that the school does not have yeah. a breakfast program or um, we do. Uh, there is like free breakfast and free lunch, but like with the free breakfast, you have to come at a certain time. And like if oh. they're tardy, like you know, because they have to start prepping the lunches, so. Even our um, the staff that works in the lunchroom, they're on the time schedule as well. So they're like, okay, we have to pass out all the breakfast to all the students who are here right now. And then they have to close breakfast in order just to get started with lunch. Mm. And so I would have kids who would come after the bell rang because, you know, they would walk to school. Uh. And then so they didn't get that opportunity to have breakfast. Uh, and you know, and so they would come in and the first thing I always ask them, I'm like, good morning. And I would say their name and I'm just like, did you eat? And they're just like, uh, they either, sometimes they would say, yes, I did. I ate at home. And then the other times are just like, no, they would go, no. And oh. like almost like ashamed that they didn't eat. And I was just like, come on, let's go. I was like, come on. I was like, I had some animal crackers and then it kind of just became a system to where they came in and I'm like, did you eat? And they're like, and they would just shake their head. Aww. And then I just, 
Like <laughs> they learned your system. If we didn't eat breakfast, <laughs> no. we can get out some animal. <laughs> that is so sweet, though. That, that and I'm you. sure I'm, I'm sure other teachers must be going through the same thing. I'm sure that they you are, talk about children that mm-hmm. that are coming to school hungry and how that really affects their learning capabilities. Because I know if I don't have my breakfast, I'm a bear. <laughs> yes. I mean, I got to yeah. have breakfast. I mean, I need something to think. And I, you know, I'm I have grandchildren, so I can imagine what these young children they go in there are expected to to learn all this curriculum, regardless of what grade they're in. I'm sure it's not just kindergartners. I'm sure there's a lot of students in all grades K through 12 who do not get breakfast. Yeah. So that's Which what, I what we do. started out the conversation talking about basic needs meet, needing to be met before we can expect to make progress in the other areas. Yeah. Basic needs are so, basic. Right. So yes. So I know that you and I have, have kind of discussed the Healthy Water Academy that Emerald Coast Keeper is putting together, and we are partnering with Hope to hope to bring this mobile classroom to the underserved communities um, mm-hmm. to kind of give them the extra hands-on um, labs and fun and learning and, and try to build their confidence levels. And, mm-hmm. you know, how do you... F- feel about the healthy what if i were to bring my healthy water academy to your school how do you feel that that would help your uh, students i feel like that would give them the opportunity to explore and i feel as though they would love it because it's they're hands-on like they love the hands-on and i mean they love structure as well but they would just like they're learned like oh well this just turned this code this just had this reaction and i feel as though like in that particular community, if they are exposed to that, they will learn so much. And that might open a door for them to want to do something with science one day. Mm-hmm. Right. It, like that it's... might kind of open some doors. And I think it would just open their eyes either way because they're just like, wow, this is where I live. And, you know, I can learn about marine life where I live right here. Exactly. So. Well, you know that in Escambia County, uh, you know, most of our underserved communities are in environmentally hazardous zones. They live near mm-hmm. um, wastewater treatment plants that are not being cared for. They're near Superfund sites that um, can expose them. They're near landfills, Wedgwood, for example, a recent uh, issue in mm-hmm. our county. And so it's more than just food and more than just money, but there's a lot of environmental factors. And I think that use allowing these children to do some hands-on learning and really understand what's going on in their community. Our goal for the Healthy Water Academy is to build some confidence, is to allow them to feel that they have a voice, get rid of the skills gap for STEM education in our community, um, help bring down those cultural barriers where they feel confident to be able to go to a public meeting to fight for their rights, mm-hmm. to get environmental justice. And, and, the lack of education is one of the biggest social injustices in this country. Mm-hmm. And, and I think it begins with our community. And we need folks that are listening today, either today or on this podcast, to speak up and to write our congressman and to meet with our superintendent and meet with educators and meet with me, in fact. Um, and let's talk about all these wonderful positive things that we brought to the table today about getting that light bulb going off about seeing making sure that these children are getting a good meal and and getting hands on mm-hmm. and and producing greater than a 27% stem uh careers 
in underserved wow. communities in this country, 27%. And we have a skills gap because there are too many jobs that are vacant that, that require STEM education degrees and not enough folks to fill them. So mm. the majority of our communities reside on basic skilled labor jobs. And that's creating a lot of issues. So I, I just, uh, I think that this is uh, something that we need to bring to our community's attention. And, and I want to thank all of you all for being here today thank and all of you. you. And, and Emerald, if anybody would like to uh, reach out to you uh, to talk to you about education or some interesting formats or just to discuss anything, how can they get a hold of you? Um, they can go to LinkedIn and just type in my name, Emerald Barton, E-M-E-R-A-L-D, B-A-R-T-O-N. Fantastic. And what about you, Alexandra? How, what's the best way for people to reach you? Um, either Facebook or um, email and the same. You can look me up on Facebook. It's Alexandra Hassett, A-L-E-X-A-N-D-R-A. Hassett is H-A-S-S-E-T-T. And that is also um, my Gmail account. It's alexandrahassett at gmail.com or alex at hopeworldwide.us. And Lila. Thank you, Lori. This was great. Um, you can reach... Um, Actually, I would like to um, put it out there that my second annual um, leadership summit will be in September. And if there's anyone in the audience that um, would like to um, learn more about HOPE, become a volunteer, edu- working uh, with um, uh, cultural educational events, and uh, we need all the help we can get. And you can um, send us, contact us through our website, which is hopepns.com. Hope stands for Harnessing Opportunity and Power of Education. And uh, you can reach me, just like Alex, at lot with Lila at hopeworldwide.us. We have two URLs. Can you imagine? Um, but you can Google Lila Davidson and pretty much find anything you need to know about <laughs> me. <laughs> great, great. And and I just want to thank all of you today. Everybody here had something very important to put on the table. And um, I'm hoping that our listeners will get a hold of us. And I would love for the three of you to continue to to work with my Healthy Water Academy. And I'm going to need your advice. And, and, and I think that you're all very great fantastic educators and have a lot of creative ideas and um, thank you again for being here with thank you pure h2o well that that's it huh that's that's, that's your it. first one out of the it's gate isn't it? first one out of the gate it, it, is. it is and uh you you all did a fantastic job uh Lori, thank thanks you. for for hosting this here today and uh you guys can find us at p cola radio x on twitter you can find us at p cola brx on facebook or you can find us on our website at pensacola.businessradiox.com. This has been Pure H2O with Lori Murphy. I'm, I'm, I'm smiling over here for you. So. All right, Keith. Thanks. <laughs> yeah. Have a great day, y'all.